quite a lot of the technology used somewhere else, whether it's hardware, sensors, Wi-Fi network, to software, AI, all those things. By using them right, this can transform how people live at home. Lifestyle tech, maybe, is the right terminology for it. I think that's the emerging area that I'm interested in pushing, and I think it's going to be really exciting for the next couple of decades. Welcome to The Restless Ones. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I've spent more than a decade really learning about technology, what makes it tick, and then describing and explaining that to my audience. But it's the conversations with the world's most unconventional thinkers, the leaders at the intersection of technology and business that fascinate me the most. In partnership with T-Mobile for Business, I explore the unique set of challenges that CTOs and CIOs and other tech executives face from advancements in cloud and edge computing, software as a service, Internet of Things, and, of course, 5G. We are often left wondering how the leading minds in business continue to thrive. Let's find out. Our guest today is Dr. Yoki Matsuoka, founder of the Johanna startup under Panasonic. As you'll learn, Yoki has had an incredible career in technology, and even her journey to choosing to study electrical engineering and computer science began because her plans to become a professional athlete didn't pan out. Yoki has dedicated her efforts toward finding ways to benefit others directly, using technology as a facilitator. The focus isn't on the tech itself, but how we can leverage tech to improve our lives. Yoki's passion for helping others reminds me of another guest we've had on the show, Mr. Marty Paslik, CIO of HCA Healthcare. And I really think this episode is an interesting contrast to that one as Yoki's approach has frequently focused on ways to reach out to consumers directly, while Marty's role is to enable a healthcare company to serve the needs of patients. With Yoki, I wanted to talk about her perspective and, more importantly, what motivated her to found a new startup in the healthcare and lifestyle space. Yoki, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it, and it's a genuine pleasure to get to speak with you today. Oh, likewise. I've been very excited about this. Thanks for the opportunity. And I always like to begin any interview by learning more about the background of the person I'm speaking with. So can you tell me about when did you start getting interested in technology? I was a late bloomer. I grew up in Japan. I moved to the U.S. thinking that I was going to become a professional tennis player. So technology was not something that was in my mind. I went to college again, thinking that I was going to be a professional tennis player. And when that didn't work out, I started to think about what else I can do. And that was almost the first time I really thought technology could be in my future. Oh, so you were literally at a crossroads. Can you talk about how you explored your different opportunities and what was it that had you gravitate toward electrical engineering and computer science? Yeah. So because all I knew in my life really was tennis, what I you know, realized is that, boy, if I want to do something interesting with my life that doesn't involve me playing tennis, what could it be? The first thing I thought about was a tennis buddy robot that I could play tennis with all my life. I started to read a little bit of research, and I realized that maybe I can build this. As I thought about getting into robotics from that angle, I explored different kinds of engineering. Luckily, I've always liked 
science and math. And I was very fortunate to really be able to pursue it further. But at the end of the day, around then when I was in college, electrical engineering was a little bit of the future. It felt like this was the thing that if I had the right knowledge, it would really push me forward. Um, I'll geek out a little bit. There's a thing called control theory, which was a lot of math, but I loved it. So I'm like, okay, whatever allows me to get deeper in control theory, I want to major in that. And then that's how I ended up doing electrical engineering. I think what I realized is that I love problem solving. I love looking at problems and I never wanted to give up and I wanted to continue to solve it. And then turns out the best way to go about it is to, you know, do it through engineering. Well, can you talk a little bit about what your path was once your degree was complete? I mean, you went on to pursue postgraduate studies and earn a PhD. What happened along that pathway? Yeah. So when I was an undergraduate at Berkeley, I was fortunate enough to have professors who took me on to build robots. I learned a lot. I wanted to continue with robotics. So I applied to graduate schools thinking that, yes, I will keep going. I still want to build my tennis robot. That led me to MIT. That led me to a group led by uh, Professor Rodney Brooks, who was building a humanoid robot. So I thought, perfect, I want to be on that team. And I will make sure it has arms and hands and, and legs and it could play tennis. So that was really the beginning of my graduate school journey. I love that tennis has become a through line for this. That's fantastic. Then you went on and took a position as a professor, correct? So as, as I got into robotics, I've got fascinated with arms and hands, again, still connected to tennis. Then I, you know, machined everything, all the parts, I built everything. And then I put, you know, uh, coding on top and I put machine learning on top and AI and all of those things. Then I felt, why isn't it playing tennis with me yet? And it was nowhere near it. It could barely pick up objects in, in the lab. And I felt this huge disconnect in AI at that time. And I thought, okay, in order to get my, the robot to play tennis with me, I have to learn neuroscience, the human intelligence, because that's the only way I can create enough artificial intelligence to get the robot to do the right thing. So for the last half of my PhD, I ended up studying neuroscience. That's really, I would say, it was a turning point for me to be exposed to learning about people who had neurological disorders who couldn't move the way they wanted. They wanted to but part of the brain wasn't working for them. And I thought, wait a second, I've been selfish. I've been trying to build this robot for myself. I could help those people who need it for just getting by every day. So that's why I retooled myself towards the end of my PhD and then a postdoc into Harvard to say, you know what, I'm dedicated to build technology to help people. What was it that led to you deciding to leave the world of academia and then to go into you know, the private sector. Yeah. So I was a professor for about a decade, but I realized that I was still far away from helping people. I was writing papers. I was graduating students and I felt frustrated that distance that I felt. So I started to get tickled by the calling of the industrial side. How can I build something that's closer to those people, you know, instead of con contributing, pushing the envelope of science? It's not every day I get to speak with someone who was present when the famously secretive Google X got its start. So I wanted to find out more from Yoki about her views on emerging tech. Plus, I wanted to get her perspective on how different technologies can work together to create incredible outcomes. 
I was very lucky when I was a professor to get a call from, you know, Google to say, hey, would you like to be one of the co-founders for this new concept, Google X? Google X was looking at 10 to 15 years down the road for something that's paradigm shifting, that's more hardware oriented, that can potentially give birth to some of the future of Google. Aligning with what I've been thinking about, what I wanted to do, and then be closer to customers, I thought, this is it. I got to ride this wave. It was just a perfect fit, given my research background. Of course, you know, now everybody knows what Google X has given birth to, uh, you know, to Waymo, the autonomous driving cars, to Verily, which is a medical technology company that's, you know, still part of Alphabet. It's also giving birth to things like Google Brain, which really became core of many of the Google technology in an AI. So it, you know, but it also was very important and an Astro Teller who continues to run Google X and I respect highly. He makes sure that a lot of projects fail. As a matter of fact, fail quick and then, you know, then try a lot of different things. There are lots of internal projects that had to be killed, but thanks to them being killed, there were a lot of good projects that were also born too. So that was really the idea of Google X. Yeah, and and it's something that you actually saw carried out through Google as a whole. I mean, uh, on the tech journalism side, there's this perception that Google releases a lot of products and then some of those a few years down the line might get retired. So in your experience there, was that something that was really formative, this idea of trying things quickly and finding things that work and really exploring different possibilities? Yeah, I think there are, there are two things, right? That I, I would say failure is the only way to learn sometimes. So failing quick and learn and get the essence out of it so that all the, you know, the future success can come. And then there's this other part, which is that Google has a culture of very bottom up. They hire incredibly intelligent people and then they let them be creative. So there are a lot of bottom up projects out, even outside of Google X. Yeah. And, and I get the feeling it's a place that was founded by engineers and still has very much an engineering spirit behind the development side. And that Again, if you aren't familiar with the approach to engineering, it can seem haphazard or or chaotic even. But once you gain that that perspective, you realize, oh no, there's a method to this apparent madness. And uh, uh, that kind of leads me to my next question, which is, so so you move on to Google X. What was it that had you decide to go and join Nest? Mm-hmm. So Google X was still looking at 10 to 15 years down the road to be paradigm shifting in society. To be honest, I felt like I was already doing that in research. What I wanted was to help people now. And so I was getting impatient. I was getting short-sighted a little bit. And then I happened to bump into my old student from Carnegie Mellon, who um, was starting this secret startup called Nest. And while it wasn't about helping people with disabilities, it still had the flavor of helping people achieve something they couldn't like save energy. And it was about learning to build a consumer product in 12 months and put it on the shelf. And I thought, boy, this is a skill that I don't have at all. I must learn how to do this and then find ways to touch people now, learn about people now. How do I work with them? How do I know what to build now? How do I build millions of devices that everybody wants to have? So I decided to jump in and give that a try. Oh, 
Yoki, you're you're like every answer is just making me even happier. The impatience to get to the point where you're helping people driving you is really inspirational. Well, I have one last little question for this segment before we move on. And it's just a just a little aside. What is your favorite piece of technology that you own? I love my Nest thermostat. <laughs> you know why? Because it works with me. When I want to save energy, it learns about me and it helps me. But when I don't want to think about it, it automatically changes temperature based on my activity, if I'm home, if I'm away, and I don't have to think about it. It just blends in with the background. And for me, that's really the goal of what technology should be. At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently so you can focus on what matters most. Where some see another small town, we see businesses in need of connectivity. So we built the largest 5G network to cover cities, towns, and the most interstate miles in between. Where some see a caller in a queue, we see an opportunity for our experts to provide solutions without transfers. Where some see another virtual meeting, we see 5G enabling wireless, real-time translations almost anywhere you do business. Our unique approach built America's largest, fastest 5G network and also delivers exceptional customer support and 5G included in every plan. So you get it all without trade-offs. Unconventional thinking is better for business. T-Mobile for business. Fastest 5G based on average overall combined 5G speeds according to Open Signal Awards USA. 5G user experience report October 2021. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Well, I really sincerely could have spent hours talking with Yoki about her experiences at Google X and Nest. I wanted to learn more about Johanna and how it fits into Yoki's desire to help others. So can you tell me about your your current project? Because it's it's brand new and it's really exciting. Yeah, I have felt that I've learned how to build consumer products and how to also build healthcare tech through working on those at Apple, Google, and different startups. I felt that what I really wanted to do was to build technology that helps people at home to live better, to be healthier, to really care about their wellness. And I built this company called Johanna which is a wellness company that is focused on helping family find more balance, prioritize well-being, and be more present for each other. When you think about the first offering that we are ju- we just announced, it is a called it's called a Johanna membership, a personal assistant service designed specifically for busy families. So it is a tool that is a combination of an app to a real person on the background who's assisted by smart tools, data, and also have researchers and pros in the background. It is really a hybrid of real people's intelligence and then the artificial intelligence of machines together to help people's daily lives. So this, in a way, is kind of like that concept we were just talking about with the Nest thermostat, but with a much broader scope of looking at various needs that the average family might encounter. That's right. So I'm a mother of four kids. I have parents who are getting older. I'm the only child. (laughs) So 
there's a lot of family-related responsibilities that, you know, follow me. I also want to be a good mom. I want to be with my kids and I want to be a good daughter and I want to be a good wife too. So all of that together, while I had my career, I had my mission to really want to, you know, to deliver technology for others to also be able to live happier and healthier lives. Technology hasn't been there to really help people. When you look at those gaming technology or autonomous driving car technology, it's mind blowing, right? The sum of the advances that's been made recently is amazing. But then when you look at people's home after they work on all this amazing thing during the day at a company, and then when they go home, the home life is still clunky. And then it's like the daily things that pile up was never taken care of. Ways to stay healthy? Well, you had to do everything manual. You had to figure out what to eat. You had to sleep on your own a little bit better. You had to exercise. It felt like it wasn't really pushing people to look out for themselves in a right way using technology. This is uh, absolutely fascinating to me. You can look at certain areas of tech where you see light years of advancement over the last you know, decade and other areas which maybe it's one of those where it wasn't seen as like a big engineering challenge, so there wasn't a lot of attention devoted to it. Or maybe companies just had not hit upon that as being a uh, possible market to develop. It's kind of languished in the background. And the thought of having a technology company really focusing on ways to streamline lives, to do what tech has always promised to do. The promise of tech, I think, ever since really the 1950s was that technology was going to take over a lot of the tasks that we find repetitive, that are time-consuming, that keep us from the stuff we really love Mm -hmm. to do. But we've also seen a lot of technology not actually solve those problems, we just end up doing more of the stuff we <laughs> we didn't want to do in the first place. Yes. So in a way, technology needs change as the society changed, the societal pressure changed, all different things happen. And in you know, 1950s, actually, the reason why I'm partnering with Panasonic is because Panasonic was one of the frontiers of a company that built technology that eased the chores at home washing machine, dryer, Mm -hmm. dishwashers, you know, name it, Panasonic, you know, has owned them and then made it better than anybody else for a long time. That's because their founder was really focused on that. He was this incredibly mission-driven guy, started a company, I think, 1918. In 1950s, as he was building wash and dryer, he said, hey, I'm doing this to free women so that they have time to do something they want to do, like read a book. Of course, that might be a little bit offensive to say these days, but that was the status of the world around 1950s. And we all benefited from those automated task-specific technology very much. You know, like I can't imagine living without a dishwasher now. But now we live in a world where those task-specific things are assisted by technology. And we try to take on a lot more in this world now. And you know, I think we're all also getting mission driven and we want to contribute to society. How do we even balance all of this has, you know, become quite a lot of um, what people are thinking about. On top of all of that, pandemic happened. I think that pandemic has also highlighted some of the issues that were brewing, brewing in a background. The pandemic of its own was that home and work could not be balanced anymore home and work blended in. Like, you know, for me, like four kids were doing Zoom at home. I was doing Zoom meetings at home and we were all in the same space. 
that's when I thought, okay, all the things that has been a problem that has been amplified in this time, is it just me? Did I go insane? But millions of people out there were feeling the same thing. Women, men, just things were falling apart. Now women have quit their job, not by choice, because they had to drop something and they couldn't drop family, so they dropped work. And technology has to be there to rescue all of us somehow. Well, to that point, can you tell us a little bit about some of the technologies that you're you're bringing to bear on this problem in the near future and maybe even some ideas about tech that might play a larger role further down the line? Where I love to go is a grandiose vision of putting hardware, software, AI, humans all together in an end-to-end format to help people in daily lives, but especially things like elderly care, you know, there are a lot of places where we need to feel close to the family and then care for family in a very different way from before. So where do we start? We start tackling on your to-do list. And when we look at the family to-do list, there are lots of different things. I put them in three buckets. The first bucket is things that just keep piling up. And that'd be nice if somebody else who's on my shoulder every day who is say, gotcha, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. You know, that's something that we're starting to do. So that's one type of to-dos, mundane tasks. Second buckets have a little more of the things that's probably in your to-do list for a long time that has never been cleared. Maybe it is cleaning out the garage. Of course you want to do it. You never somehow get to the point of clearing the garage. And that a team of people who already know you can come and say, okay, well, you know, let's decompose this problem into, you know, easy ones. Is it stinky? Is it, you know, is it and lit up really well? Okay, so let's, let me send you a pro. Then from my point of view, I'll just get a very simple list of pros that I can pick. I pick one, schedule gets automatically made. When I have time, the pro shows up and then checks out my garage and says, ah, it has mildew, ah, it's leaking from here. Oh, you actually have termites. you got to get rid of all of those first. Pros come again at a time that I can make it work. They come in and clean all those things. So those things, because I have a partner who is just proactive, reaching out, making sure it's you know in the form that I can take care of, things are getting crossed off my to-do list because of it. So that's sort of the second bucket of things that we can take care of. But lastly, and most importantly, we are a well-being wellness company. We want to make sure that as you manage your family, as you manage your life, that you're taken care of. And often you don't put those things on your to-do list. What are those things? It could be a date night with your husband just to get a little bit of a break. Or maybe even sending flowers, gifting friends. Those things make you feel really happy. We'll make sure that we're proactively thinking about you and in your well-being and maybe even community outreach, that maybe you've been wanting to feel part of that community. So there are different ways that we try to make sure that you're you're preserved, you feel good, and then you have time and those moments to contribute to your family and to society. So I imagine in order to get that level of understanding, you're depending both upon the human beings who are working on behalf of these uh, subscribers, as well as probably some data analysis and machine learning to start to anticipate things before they even become 
to the level of a problem so that you can address it and it never even takes up that mind space that just weighs down on people day after day. Is that more or less where you're you're kind of aiming at with this this adventure? Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about what this product will feel like when you become a subscription member. What you get is an onboarding call with a person who is going to tell you a little bit about what the program is about, and then also start to learn about who you are. How can we work with you? What kind of things are weighing down on you? They will start taking on some of the first tasks. You get an app where you can chat, you can track tasks, and that then you can move forward with a dedicated assistant named Yo Assistant, who you will know by first name basis, that you can start to chat with and then start to delegate. Now, of course, that person will start to get to know you that, you know, then you get to know them and then learn this each other style to start tackling on different tasks that I mentioned. Um, So this is pretty much how it works in terms of the nutshell of the product. As you know, you may have lots of things to offload to people. And sometimes they're a little bit of a nudge, a little bit of a proactive reach that's required. Definitely sounds like a, a, a great goal to have. Well, before we move on, I have one uh, another qu- quick question, which is what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received in your career? <sighs> okay, so I keep revealing myself way too much, but here I go. Um, I'm um, an introvert. I'm, you know, uh, often not super confident by myself sometimes. And so when I was younger, I used to pretend to be dumb because I wanted to be accepted as a girl. When I was at MIT in grad school, I used to wear the hello, my name is sign that, you know, you put as a sticker sometimes. And I used to say, hello, my name is, and I put airhead. This is second year in grad school at MIT, one of the most amazing institutions in the world. And my professor pulled me on the side. Yoki, I need to give you an advice because you wouldn't go any further unless you change right now. And he said, snap out. You're not an airhead. You're at MIT. Everybody already sees through you. So stop it. I was probably like 23 years old. It took that long for me to try to stop pretending, trying to actually hide behind something. And that was one of the best advices that I've ever gotten. Since then, I have been trying. I have been also a little bit more vulnerable. I've been showing when I fail a little bit more. That was something that I was scared to do too. As long as I knew that, you know, I pretended to not face it, I didn't have to. I could say, I didn't try, so no big deal. But now suddenly I started trying that the consequence was really scary. But at the same time, the world suddenly opened up and that was by far the best advice I've gotten. Uh, what a fantastic story. I love that answer. Well, let's let's talk a bit about emerging technology, something that you've been around <laughs> for quite some time. You've seen tons of different projects that are all dedicated around technologies that are either emerging or maturing. Which ones do you feel have the potential to to provide the largest benefit in the in the fairly near future? Even though I'm a technologist, I don't think technology first. The way I think about it is there's no technology around to help me as a mom, help me as a family member, help me as a daughter to be better for my aging family and parents. I think that's going to be the low-hanging fruits. Quite a lot of the technology used somewhere else, whether it's hardware, sensors, 
Wi-Fi network to software, AI, all those things, by using them right, this can transform how people live at home. Lifestyle tech, maybe, is the right terminology for it. I think that's the emerging area that I'm interested in pushing, and I think it's going to be really exciting for the next couple of decades. I think what you're talking about, where we have these various uh, independent disciplines of technology starting to converge in specific areas, and if we see that converge in, say, the lifestyle space, I have a feeling like it'll seem maybe five years down the road, I'll look back at this and think I was just on the precipice of living in the future, just as I felt when smartphones started to become a thing, mm-hmm. that now I had a computer in my hand that could fit in my pocket and I lived in the future. Yeah. And let me even add one more thing. Like I, can, I just want to I can make it kind of more concrete. How we get older and how we live after retirement, let's say, and how we die this all need to change. And then a technology, you know, what I'm calling lifestyle tech, should be able to detect as you age, predict to make things a little bit better, maybe have the right medication to start earlier to really live your life in a better way. But when it comes to caring, instead of help from the hospital, can we do that from home with technology's assistance where people and technology and hardware and AI all together is caring for you in the right way so that you can have that last 10 to 30 years of your life in the best way possible without worrying about the kind of things that we currently have to worry about. Right. Being able to lean on technology to give people independence and allow them that sense of agency and dignity, I think that's a really worthy goal to strive for. The Internet of Things concept. I mean, I'm sure when you were first getting into college, that was probably a buzzword that maybe was being talked about a little bit, but now it's reality. Do you see IoT playing a a larger role in our home lives and being part of this system that helps us uh, maintain our lives longer and, and more comfortably within the home? Absolutely. I mean, that's the future that I want to be part of building and living in. And, you know, of course, as 5G technology comes in, I imagine the world to be a lot more sensor oriented and also more privacy oriented. We are able to do those things as the network gets faster and as the technology gets more enabled, we can have edge computing, things that can stay within your home so that it doesn't have to travel across for security reasons. I think those things are within their reach now. You know, from even from the healthcare perspective, it shouldn't be those instant when you happen to be in a doctor and then you happen to be reporting to a doctor about what's wrong. But it should be that all the data of your daily life, really, that's the predictor of how you're going to be, what you might, you know, feel bad about moving forward, what kind of illness you might get. Those information should be available to yourself. And then and you should be, you know, deciding whether you want to share that for, you know, some value benefits that you might get. But all those choices, all those possibilities are coming because of the technology moving forward. And it's exciting to see that all those technologies even though they are in different disciplines, are all maturing so quickly that we're lucky that it's converging at this point. That to me, as you were saying earlier in this episode about you know the technology being in the background, it's almost as if you live in a magical house <laughs> at that point that is anticipating things and it's working on your behalf and solving problems possibly before you even realize that there was a problem to solve. Yes, yes. I love it. And then I've been always imagining that house 
is not just a roof and wall that shields you from the outside harshness. It's going to have to protect you in a very different way moving forward. Yes, agreed. And even as you said before, like the idea of, especially in the pandemic, of trying to separate home and work and how difficult that was, even before we were all staying at home, it was hard. Now it's it feels like it's impossible. It's going to be really important for us to have the technologies that allow us to set up those boundaries so that we can have both a, a satisfying work life and a rich and valuable home life at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't about to let Yoki go without asking her one more thing. In your opinion, what do you think is the most misunderstood technology? I actually think that AI is misunderstood. And, you know, there's a lot of advancement and excitement, but incredible fear of what it could be. It's going to take over human, you know, intelligence. It's going to rule the world. It made an incredible progress, of course, since the, you know, the 80s and the 90s when, you know, the speed of things were limited, the ability to collect data was limited. And now we look at it and put massive amount of data to be able to do a lot of, you know, inference that we couldn't do before. So it's true. It's making advancement. It's not that fearful thing. It's just not there yet. So no offense to anybody who's working on a machine learning and an amazing advancement. And I know there's a lot of effort, of course, to you know surpass human intelligence. And those things will push a lot of technology forward. But I don't want people to be scared of it or avoid it to the point that they're not benefiting. It's not that time. Yoki, that was a great answer because it reminds me of a couple of things. One is that, like, as you say, uh, in very specific implementations under very specific circumstances, computers do phenomenal things at a level that we humans just cannot do. But those are very specific. Mm-hmm. And humans, the one of the amazing things about us is that we are general purpose machines. We can do lots of stuff. And computers typically or machines or robots typically can only do a subset of those things. And sometimes not nearly as well as a human could. Yoki, this has been a really inspiring conversation, and I am so thankful to have had the opportunity to speak with you today. Thank you for joining us. Oh my gosh, it was so fun. Thank you. Let's do it again. Yoki brought this up in our conversation, but it really is worth driving home. We are currently in an environment in which multiple technologies have matured in such a way as to present incredible opportunities. And while Yoki and I focused on ways that it will affect users and people on an individual or maybe family unit basis, the same can be said of businesses. The development of effective, powerful, and affordable sensors, the pairing of those sensors with transmitters, and the underlying communications networks that we have with 5G are going to enable world-changing solutions. I expect every major company in the world is looking at how to leverage these technologies to deliver more value to customers and to drive down costs of business and to increase efficiency and productivity to untold levels. It's truly amazing to see how the Internet of Things, the speed of communication, and our ability to collect and analyze data have all reached incredible sophisticated levels and have the potential for those technologies to make a positive impact. I mean, it's impossible to overstate 
how phenomenal this is. I can't wait to hear how Johanna evolves over time and rolls out various products in an effort to give us back the most precious resource we have, time. Please be sure to come back and listen as we talk with more leaders in the tech space to get their insight on future episodes of The Restless Ones. I'm Jonathan Strickland. At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've built America's largest, fastest 5G network while remaining a partner who delivers exceptional customer support and 5G included in every plan so you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Fastest 5G based on average overall combined 5G speeds according to Open Signal Awards USA. 5G user experience report October 2021. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 